0: It is such a joy to honor mothers. You know, Mother's Day is, is just one day a year that we can think about it, stop and, and remember how much our mothers have loved us. And it's just, a—it's a, it seems right. It feels good to give back a little, to, to love them back, to bless them. Uh, last time I uh, taught on Mother's Day, I asked the same question, used the same illustration. But let me ask you. How many of you mothers here today got breakfast in bed today? All right. <laughs> quite a few of you. Let me guess what you got. You got a mound of something that kind of resembled scrambled eggs. It was kind of a gray-green color, had every spice in your cupboard in it. that had a taste that you couldn't quite identify, but you can still taste. Uh, You got a couple of super crisp pieces of bacon that turned to dust when you picked them up. Charred piece of toast, a glass of orange juice with a lump of concentrate in the bottom. All of this served up with the only bud your rosebush ever even tried to produce stuff in a vase. And as you were trying to eat this, your son or your daughter stood by your bed with eyes shining in anticipation, waiting to hear your moans of pleasure. And even though it will probably be easier for you to move into a new house than it will be to clean your kitchen, I'll bet you're glad they did it, that you loved it. Because in doing that they were trying to say to you, I love you. Have you ever thought about why children just automatically when they, when they have a Mother's Day or a birthday or some way, time they want to love you and honor you, cook a meal for you, give you breakfast in bed? That's because you love them every day by cooking meals for them. And when they want to love somebody, the only way they know how to do it is to do what you do. You are the model of love for them. That. For, for most of us, when we were, we were little, our mothers defined, described love. What they did was what love is to us. And how will we understand it? Again, that's why Mother's Day is such a joy. It's one day to stop and remember this, to think about it, to bless our mothers, to, to give back to them. And so this morning, in honor of Mother's Day... Um, I want to talk about the greatest gift you could ever give your mothers. I want to do this by looking at a couple of pretty strange passages. Some of the things that Jesus said about mothers are, are, are perhaps a little bit odd at first, even uncomfortable at first. But I want to look at maybe two or three of these these passages and talk about loving our mothers, giving to our mothers. first one I want to start with is Luke 14, 26. Luke 14, 26. Uh, If you want to turn there, that's fine. If you want to just listen, I'm just going to read one verse. We're going to jump off of this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother... His wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to hate your mother. This church, our vision of this church is to make disciples of Jesus. So in honor of Mother's Day, we're going to ask each of you to turn to the woman next to you and give her a good one. (laughs) Give her a shot right to the head. What's going on here? We need to uh, have a little bit of a reality check here. Now, Jesus calls us to follow Him, to be like Him. He never calls us to do anything He didn't do. Did Jesus hate His mother? No, not at all. He he honored His mother. He loved her right up through the end. In fact, when Jesus was dying on the cross and He saw His mother standing, watching, weeping, He... Uh, He spoke to her, and he spoke to to the disciple that was standing near her, John, whom he loved. He asked John to take care of her. John 19, verse 25, he says, When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, Here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. See, Jesus was hanging on the cross, paying for the sins of the world. This was the most intense, hardest, most painful moment in eternity. And yet right in the middle of it, Jesus stops and cares for his mother, who was widowed by this time. He loves her. He expresses that love to her. See, she's the person... Who first taught him how to love, taught him what life was about. Now, unlike us, right from the very beginning, Jesus, even, even as a baby, even as an infant, was never selfish. His heart was always inclined to love, always disposed toward love. There was nothing impeding his heart from loving. Yet he still needed a mother. To, to, to help him express that love. To, to show him practically, in specifics, how to love. Jesus was the sinless son of God. But he still needed a mother to explain things to him. Now, As, as Jesus grew his, his source of understanding, uh, understanding about himself and his world and other people, his mission in life, it, it shifted. From his mother, his father, to the scripture, to his heavenly father. But often we don't think about the fact, the reality, that, that as, a, as a little one, it was God's plan, God's design, that his mother teach him about life, explain things to him. This is a mother's most important job. Mothers, this is your most important job. Quite a few years ago, when I was children's pastor of this church, um, I asked all of the children in the, in the first through third grade chapel to write a statement for me, why my mom is the best. And each one of them wrote it up. And I, I was going through my file this week, and I found about eight or ten of those uh, in my file. I've used some of these in, in past sermons, so you may have heard a few of them. But let me uh, read a couple of these. Why my mom is the best. I love my mom so much. My mom is the best because she cares about me. She does things with me. She takes me out. She feeds me. She does not spoil me. And I'm glad she corrects me. She does my homework with me. She gave me two brothers. And I love my mom so much, if my mom died, I would cry. But I would remember that I would see her again. My mom teaches me things. That's why my mom is the best. I love you. Love, Andrea Joy Dealey. Here's a a very practical boy. Why my mom is the best. His father came up and talked to me after the first service about reading this, but I'm going to do it again. My mom is best because she feeds me. If my dad cooked, we would go hungry. His idea of a meal is a Butterfinger and a Coke. My mom also does the wash. I love her a lot. She does so many things that it would take me an hour to name them all. Kyle Day. Why my mom is the best. Joel Downer. Now, Joel has at least, I think there's 40 on this, these three pages that he just listed off one after another. But let me just read a few of them. She makes my food. She washes my clothes. She buys my clothes. She takes me golfing. She is nice. She helped me learn life. She loves the family. She taught me about the Lord. She helps me know friends. She helped me talk. She helped me understand school. She helped me understand sports. She helped me with my brothers. She helped me with my sister. She makes my birthday fun. Did you hear the heart of that? She helped me learn life. She taught me about the Lord. She helps me know friends. She helped me understand school. She helped me with my brothers. She helped me with my sister. Joel's mom helped him understand life. Again, moms, that's your most important job. A mom is an interpreter. Someone who can explain, can help their child understand what they feel and why they feel it. Help the child understand why other people do what they do. Help them uh, understand uh, uh, what it all means, how it all fits together. Understand how to do the right thing even when they don't feel like it. See, children need someone to explain it. To them, explain what they're seeing and hearing because they're always trying to sort it out. They're always trying to to put it together, to figure it out, and they will figure it out one way or the other, right or wrong. What they need is good input, good information, good data from you so that it will make sense and that it will fit together right, correctly, properly. They need you to explain your own attitudes and actions to them. Apologizing to them when, when what you say or do is wrong. They need to, to be able to see life as it really is. Even the hard stuff. Even the, the ugly stuff. But they need it explained to them in the context of God's love and God's sovereignty. They need it explained in the context of right and wrong. Otherwise, what they see will brutalize them and confuse them. See, the goal is that as they grow... They will, they will move, they will shift from mom and dad being the interpreters to looking to God, to Scripture, to understand what life is about, to understand what it all means. But moms and dads, that's our job, to help them understand, to move them in that direction. Anyway, back to Jesus. He loved his mother. And then why does he say To be his disciple, we've got to hate our mothers. Well, first of all, we we need kind of a vocabulary lesson here. We need to understand what Jesus meant by the word hate. In another place, he's talking about the fact that we can't serve two masters. And he says, you will love one and hate the other. Then he, he restates that. He clarifies it. He says, in other words... You will listen to one, pay attention to one, and ignore the other. See, that's what he meant by love and hate. He, he's talking about the realities. If you try to serve two masters, obey two bosses, that eventually you'll get contradictory instructions and you'll be forced to choose to obey one and disobey the other. And Jesus uses the terms love and hate as powerful emotional terms to, to communicate who you'll be listening to, who it really matters to you, what they think and what, what, what they say, who you will obey. Now, he's not using the word hate to talk about kind of malice and wanting to injure somebody. Don't smack that woman sitting next to you. What he's, what he's talking about, bottom line here is if if he is your Lord, if you're going to be his disciple... Your commitment to obeying Him means that ultimately it doesn't matter what anybody else says or thinks. Loyalty to Him, obedience to Him will not be compromised no matter what anybody says or does. But here is an important secret. If you put your love for Jesus first... You'll discover that your Lord, your Master, directs you and empowers you to love your mother, to love your husband, to love your wife, to love your son or your daughter, to love those around you. In obedience to Him, He moves us in that direction and He teaches us how to do it. He gives us the wisdom, He gives us the fortitude, the courage to love them in fact. Not just in, in emotion. Not just in sentiment. But to genuinely seek what's best for them. You see, true love is not a feeling. Feelings are wonderful and it can accompany it. But when Scripture talks about love, what love really is, is seeking another person's best. Regardless of the cost. And the Lord can teach you to love like that. But if you put your love for anyone above your love for Jesus... And you'll find that uh, that love turns unhealthy, destructive. Not only unhealthy to yourself, but it ends up ultimately damaging to the person that you say you love. So if you love Jesus first, in obedience to Him, empowered by Him, you will effectively love your family. But if you put your family first, even your mother, the end result will be that you will not love anyone effectively or honestly. It's as simple as that. To gain your life, you've got to lose it. To love your mother in that sense, you've got to hate her. Now, let me put some some flesh on this. What what does this really look like? I mean, how does this work out? Let me give a couple examples. First is a young high school student, when I was a youth pastor, came to me to talk about what was happening at home. This kid had become a believer through the youth group. He was so excited about his new faith. It was one of those times where you just get to see somebody take off. What a joy. But his mom wasn't a believer. And when he told her about it, she wasn't pleased at all. Somehow it felt to her like a rejection of everything she had taught him. His becoming born again somehow seemed like an implicit criticism of her and her job as a mother. And this kid came in hurt and confused. What was he supposed to do? Well, the first thing he had to do was decide who he was going to obey. Jesus or his mother? Was he going to listen to his mother and walk away from his new faith? Or was he going to listen to Jesus and leave his mother with a feeling that she had been rejected? Well, he chose to love the Lord and hate Jesus. His mother. Now, what did that look like? I mean, did he immediately start treating her with contempt and disrespectfully? Not at all. In fact, the first thing that we began to go over together was our Lord's call for her to hon- for him to honor his mother, to treat her with respect and deference, and and he went he went way out of his way to show her how important she was him. He began to look to the Lord to teach him and give him the courage to really love her. And she was stunned by the difference in his attitude and behavior. He involved her in the things he was doing. He stayed away from drugs and rebellion. He asked permission for things that before he would have just gone off and done. He did everything he could to communicate to her how important she was in his life yet for years she still held on to that offense that he had become a christian yet over those years it became clear that she saw a difference in his life and the life of his siblings more and more she looked to him as the one who really loved her that supported her i don't know where she is today this was a lot of years ago but i wouldn't be at all surprised if Her heart hasn't opened to the Lord. Another example is an adult woman who has a family of her own, um, a husband and small children. She and her mother are both believers, yet there was something that that was just unhealthy in their relationship. Her mother couldn't really let go, kept interfering in the the marriage and in the parenting in ways that made her husband feel uh, unaccepted. uh, disrespected now what was she supposed to do she makes a big deal of this her mother is going to be hurt maybe even angry but if she just leaves it alone it will continue to hurt her husband and her marriage what is she to do well again the first thing if she's going to be a disciple of jesus the question isn't who will be mad who will be hurt question is what's right what does jesus call me to do in spite of who will be mad who will be hurt see the fact is to be a disciple of jesus she had to choose to hate both her mother and her husband in that sense in the sense of of being preoccupied with how they will react emotionally And to stop and say, what is right? What is loving? What does Jesus call me to do? What is honest and true? She had to take a risk and obey her Lord. And she took that risk. She sat down with her mother, talked it over with her very gently, very respectfully. But she made the boundaries absolutely clear. She had to protect the integrity of her marriage. You know what? Her mother was hurt. But her mother also appreciated her daughter's love to get it on the table, to talk it over, rather than to just cut her off emotionally, back away from her. Her mother was hurt, but her mother also saw the love that was expressed. This young lady had to care more about what her Lord was calling her to do than about losing her mother's affection. Quite honestly, that was the most loving thing she could do for her mother. You see, when we follow the Lord, when we hate those that we love, because we love our Lord and are obeying Him, we end up loving ways that that are far more profound, far healthier than ever we could have without that. See, this is really how we love our mothers. We don't write them off, we just go ahead and do what is right. What our Lord calls us to do, knowing that we may very well lose what we had with our mother. Lose everything. You may lose what we have with your husband, or with your wife, or with your son, or with your daughter. But again, that's the best thing you can do for them. That is the truly loving thing to do. Anything short of that, is a selfish focus on what you might lose, rather than an honest, genuine concern for their best. Again, to love our mothers, we have to be willing to hate them. To love them effectively, you have to hate them, at least as far as it comes to who you will please, who you will obey. Again, this isn't selfishness, putting ourselves first and, and forgetting about how it will affect others. Uh, unfortunately, that's kind of what is held out today as as healthy. Uh, I've got to look out for me. I'm sorry if it hurts anybody else. That's just too bad. Uh, that's raw selfishness. That's sin. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about saying, I've got to do what my Lord calls me to do. And because He is love, even though... Right now, this feels kind of lousy. I know it is the loving thing to do that 's what we 're talking about. This is hard stuff it 's hard to be that loving it 's hard to break our family systems. We get so caught up in those it 's hard to admit that this our mothers or this person we love is not perfect, but they aren 't. Sorry, mom. If she listens to this tape you 're close to perfect. But our mothers aren't perfect. Jesus' mother wasn't perfect. In fact, at least three times in in Scripture, Jesus gently rebukes His mother. Uh, The first time was when Jesus was 12 and His mom finds Him in the temple when she thought He was supposed to be someplace else. And she's extremely upset. Jesus gently, lovingly speaks truth to her. But then He honors her by immediately obeying her, submitting to her, going with her. The second time was at Cana, where they had run out of wine. And Jesus' mother comes to him and says, fix this, take care of this. Again, he gently rebukes her, I think, for, for preempting his plans. She needed to learn to trust him and, and, and to trust his plans. So he speaks the truth to her. But again, then he honors her by taking care of the need, by going ahead and, and moving into that, that, that situation, that problem. The third Time is a little bit more indirect. It's in Luke eight, verse nineteen. That's the second of the kind of strange teachings of Jesus that I want to look at real quickly. Luke eight, verse nineteen. Let me set this up a little. Jesus was very, very busy. This was kind of at the height of his popularity. People are crowding around him from every direction. And Mark, in his account of this, tells us he says, "Then Jesus entered a house." And again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. I realized Jesus' mother had been concerned for him for some time. He had left home, left a a secure job as a a carpenter. He had started hanging around with some pretty... uh, questionable friends, some rough fishermen, a tax gatherer, a a radical zealot. He had started alienating some very important people, the religious leaders, the political leaders. But the last straw was when he wasn't eating right. Like Mark said, he and his disciples were not even able to eat. That was more than a good Jewish mother could take. So she got uh, his brothers together and they went to, to get Jesus or at least to get him to start eating right. That leads to the situation there in Luke 8, verse 19. Another one of Jesus' strange comments about mothers. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to see you. He replied, My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and do it. Now, this is a strange thing to say. Jesus was a master at jolting people by saying the unexpected. My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and do it. What everybody expected was for Jesus to say, Come on, everybody, get out of the way. Let my mom throw. I mean, after all, this is his mother. But instead, he starts talking about hearing God's word and doing it. Why? Well, because this is important. This is the key to life trusting God enough to obey Him. We're not talking about a legalistic obedience where we try to impress God with our performance so that He'll love us. It's not talking about kind of a a slavish following of the rules so that we can earn our own salvation. That's just not what we're talking about at all. We're talking about trusting God, believing that He knows what He's talking about, believing that He's good, He's not trying to mess us up, believing that, that, that He's powerful enough to take care of us. Because we trust Him, obeying Him is is in response to that trust. See, another word for trust is faith. They're synonyms. They're the same word. translated differently in your Bibles. Faith always leads to obedience. If it doesn't lead to obedience, it's not true faith. Faith without works is dead. It doesn't even exist. It's not really there. When we don't obey, we are demonstrating that that the faith isn't there, that the trust isn't there. We are demonstrating that really we believe that He doesn't know what He's talking about or or that somehow He's not good, that that if we obey Him, it's going to backfire on us. It's going to harm us, destroy us in some way. Or it's a demonstration that we don't believe that He's powerful enough to take care of us if we do obey Him. But again... That's what the key to life is, trusting Him enough to obey Him. Now, obviously, it's not as simple as just saying, God said it, so I'll do it. Sometimes, it is exactly that simple. But there are other times when our distrust is so deep. Deep. That we don't understand our actions, we want to obey, we try to obey, and somehow we're not able to pull it off. That we're confused by it, and, and at those times we need to see more clearly God's tender love, His His healing grace that can free us from those patterns. We fall back on that grace. Sometimes our habits are so ingrained that, in spite of our best efforts, they keep coming back. And again, we're we're forced to our knees daily. To receive the forgiveness that Jesus died on the cross to gain for us. But you see, our heart, our longing, our movement, our desire, our prayers is always toward that obedience. To see God's word, to understand it. To respond to it by trusting him enough to obey it. That's the direction we're moving. That's the key in our walk. And this is really where I wanted to get this morning in conclusion, to, 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 to look at that reality. Hearing the word of God and doing it. The best thing that you can give to your mother is to hear God's word and do it. Again, the best gift you can give to your mother is to hear the word of God and obey it. And we've already talked about, already seen that by listening to Jesus, you can learn how to love your mother more effectively. He can give you the wisdom and the strength to love her in fact, not just in sentiment, but it's even more. Let me ask you, what does your mother or did your mother want for you? She wants you to be successful at life. That's what was behind everything she taught you. That's what was behind all of her training and discipline. She wants you to be successful at life. Whether or not your mother was wise. Whether or not her own sins and weaknesses got in the way. Whether or not she was very good at expressing it. That is a mother's heart. The desire for you to be successful. That's what moves and motivates her. Maybe your mother doesn't even understand what success is. She was pushing you in the wrong direction. But still, her heart is that you be successful in life. Now, listen to what Jesus says about true success in life. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. See, the key to success in life. Success not measured in in health and wealth and fame, but success measured in, in, in integrity in loving relationships, in peace, in security, in stability, in wisdom, in love, in profound satisfaction, walking with Jesus. That success is found in that walk with Jesus. Hearing His Word and doing them. Hearing the Word of God and obeying it. Best thing you can do Your mother is to give your life to Jesus. If you've never done that and you don't know how, it's very simple. Just trust Him and give Him your life. A, 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 A good way to start is by praying something along the lines of Lord, Jesus, I want to trust you. I know you're good. I know you're loving. I accept what you did to pay for my sins on the cross. Now I want to walk with you. I want to listen to you. I want to obey you. It's that simple. But it's also that hard. Really making that choice to turn away from trusting yourself, your own ways of working it out, your own resources, and genuinely, honestly trusting Him. Maybe you're already a believer, but there's some area of your life that you are holding back some place that you're, you're not trusting God enough to obey Him or to get help if you're struggling with obedience. Again, give your mother the best Mother's Day gift you could possibly give her. Turn that area of your life over to the Lord. Get the help you need to bring that area into obedience. In the year 354 A.D., Roman woman by the name of uh, Monica lived in North Africa at the time, had a little baby. She named him Augustine. Monica was a Christian, a strong believer, but when her boy got old enough to decide for himself, he rejected her faith. Augustine became one of the most brilliant, influential thinkers of his day. Fact is, he uh, became probably the most influential person of a period of about a thousand years, a millennium. Augustine was, was strongly influenced by the writings of Cicero to become a seeker of truth. And he pursued all of the philosophies of his day, becoming an expert in Manichaeanism, skepticism, uh, Neoplatonism. He became a, a teacher in Rome, a teacher of rhetoric. He rose to the top of the academic world Rose to the top of the social world. Financially, he became extremely wealthy. But in spite of all of his apparent success, his mother's heart still ached. Because she knew that without the Lord, it was hollow. She knew that he, his heart was hollow. And it was. He got more and more involved in, in a prolific lifestyle. He had a son by a woman he lived with for a short time in Carthage. He got into more and more decadence, just trying to fill the hole inside of him. He moved from one philosophy to another. His, his brilliance and his education caused him to be uh, conceited, and contemptuous, and contentious. Still, his mother kept praying. Monica kept longing for her little boy. Know the Lord. Finally, right before she died, maybe because he knew she was going and that sobered him and it caused him to stop and think. But he gave his mother the greatest gift any son or daughter could ever give a mother. He gave his life to Jesus. Then he, he went to Carthage, shared the gospel with his son. The two of them were baptized together. Augustine became one of the greatest church leaders ever. Like I said, he, he, he was the greatest historically thinker for a whole millennium, a thousand years. The Roman Catholic Church looks to him as, as one of their foundational theologians, but so do, do the Protestants. Both Martin Luther and John Calvin look to Augustine through his writings as their mentor. If you were to ask Augustine, All of this influence. All of this historic greatness. What was the greatest achievement of his life? What brings him the most personal satisfaction? What was the most important thing he ever did? he would tell you, it was finally, after all those years, giving that gift to his mother. Giving his life to Jesus. Walking in the truth. Apostle John, who took care of Jesus' mother until her death, Third 3 John 4, puts, wrote down some words that fit well into a mother's mouth anywhere. He wrote, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Give your mother that joy. Give your mother the, the greatest Mother's Day gift ever. Let's pray. Lord I thank you for mothers I thank you for the practical ways they teach us to love we uh, recognize that each of our mothers were sinners in need of your grace some of our mothers knew you some didn't but we also recognize that uh, within mothers you put a heart for us to be successful whether they understood that or not whether they could express that well or not. Thank you that that is just a reflection of your heart, your desire, your overpowering mother's heart for us to see us succeed. And Lord, we want to be wise. We know that our success will only be found as we come and submit ourselves to you. We relinquish the control. We relinquish the the role of judge in our own life, deciding what of yours we will take what we will believe and what we won't. Lord, ultimately our desire is not just to honor our mothers and their desire for our success, but even more to honor You and Your incredible love. May we see that love. May we trust You more fully. And as a result, obey You more completely. Lord, uh, just again, bless our mothers, we pray. Amen.